and thank you for joining Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, pastors David and Dana join together to bring us the last installment of our series on The Great Artisan. Let's listen. So this week, we are going to be wrapping up our sermon series on The Great Artisan. So David and I thought that it would be a fun and interesting idea to co-preach. Right. So we will both be sharing the message this morning and just talking about God as the great artisan and what it looks like to be shaped and molded by God. So as we dive into this topic, let us start thinking about those people in the Bible where we saw God pick them up right where they were in life and to start shaping them and molding them for God's purpose. So start identifying some of those key biblical figures that God molded and shaped, even reshaped again, so that God could use them in a specific way. The first person that comes to mind for me is the Apostle Paul. Paul has been one of my favorite biblical characters from the beginning. Um, I think Paul just has a fascinating story. He has a very interesting conversion experience where he's changed into a completely different person. He goes from being someone who persecutes Christians to being a Christian himself. In fact, it's such a change in Paul's life that his name changes. Paul doesn't start out as Paul, he starts out as Saul. And through that conversion experience, his name changes to Paul. So I want us to walk through that conversion story a little bit. And it's a pretty lengthy story in the book of Acts. So I'm going to skip around a little bit in Acts so that we can get a concise story. So turning to Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. So this is Paul's conversion story. We hear how he started out as a man named Saul. He's headed to Damascus for the purpose of rounding up as many Christians as possible so that he can hurt them and torture them and persecute them for their Christian beliefs. But before he gets to Damascus, he comes face-to-face with Christ. He has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and he's a changed man. 
His name changes to Paul, and he goes from being a person that persecutes Christians to being a baptized Christian himself. So it is quite a dramatic change in Paul's life, but it is a perfect example of how God picks you up right where you are in life and starts to change you. It's a perfect example of how God molds us and shapes us into the person that God wants us to be. But the key is we have to be malleable. We have to be pliable. This story about Paul, it's always resonated with me. And I think it's always resonated with me because it's just an authentic story. For a lot of us, we didn't grow up in the church And maybe there was a life event that caused us to finally turn to the church for support. Maybe there was a life event that finally caused us to open up to God, to let God in so that he could shape us and mold us. I know personally, there was a life event that I went through that finally made me vulnerable enough that I would let God in so that he could craft the person that he wanted me to be. Prior to that, I was fulfilling my life by my own means, living for my own purpose and meaning in life. After that life event, God, his purpose emerged in my life. It took on a whole new meaning. I ended up going to seminary and becoming a minister. That is something that none of us saw coming, (laughs) even myself. I was shocked by that one. But this is what happens when you let God take over. When you let God start to mold you and shape you, your divine purpose in life emerges. For Paul, after his conversion experience, he spent the rest of his life preaching and teaching throughout the Mediterranean, furthering Christ's ministry on earth. That encounter with Christ changed his whole trajectory in life. It's such a neat story, and it's a story of God taking a person like Paul and then dramatically changing their life, you know, knocking him off the horse, speaking to him through a bright light. And it sounds like you had your own kind of big experience, so much so that you became a pastor and changed your life focus. But what I'm wondering, and I wonder if we're wondering this here too, is does it always have to be that dramatic? You know, if if God's working in our lives, what if I've never been knocked off a Mm. horse? Are there smaller, more subtle ways that God could work in us. Yeah, that's a really good point. I believe that there are more subtle ways, and that's probably more common Mm. than these big dramatic flashes of light. Yeah. Um, And I think that those small ways entail just hearing God's still small voice, Mm. of feeling God nudging you in a particular direction, hearing God calling you to, to do anything. It could be something as small as holding a door for another human being, mm. rolling down your car window and offering something to someone in need. That is God speaking to you. So it's just, it's growing in that awareness of, okay, where's, where's God tugging on my heart? Where do I maybe hear that still small voice and recognize oh, that's God in me? Even if it's not a bright light, that's still God in me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so Paul's the one that stuck out to me. Who's the biblical character that speaks to you? Well, when I heard you were choosing Paul and going kind of New Testament, I said, okay, I'm going to go Old Testament then. And so I want to study Moses. 
And I want to study how Moses is an example of how God can really use someone and shape their life into maybe unexpected ways. So you may or may not know the story of Moses. I'm going to give you just a brief recap um, to really immerse ourselves in his life story. But he was born uh, as a Hebrew at a very dangerous time to be a Hebrew because the Hebrews, his people, were enslaved at that time. They were slaves in Egypt. They were brutally oppressed as a people. And not only that, but the Egyptians, who were their kind of overseers at that time, were terrified of the Hebrews. And you might think, why? Why would they be terrified of the Hebrews? They're in charge. But they were terrified that the Hebrews one day would have an uprising. They would rise up, rebel against the Egyptians, and say, we're not going to be slaves any longer, because the Hebrews actually outnumbered the Egyptians. So Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, did the unthinkable. In order to cling to power, he said, you know, whenever a baby boy is born, a Hebrew boy, that boy needs to be killed immediately. That's where our story begins in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. It says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. This is the world that Moses was born into. So Moses is born, and his mother hides him. For three months, she hides him, fearing that he could be found and killed and thrown into the Nile. I got to tell you, I'm reading this story with new eyes today. I've got a newborn child, a child who tomorrow will be eight weeks old, not even three months. So I I can't picture what this mom must have felt like, you know, taking this newborn baby and, and hiding and running for those three months. Usually, when you have a newborn baby, it's a time of celebration, it's a time when the whole community gathers around you to say, yay, we're so glad this happened. But that was not Moses's mother's experience. And after three months, she must have decided, I can't hide him any longer. And so she did what she thought she had to do to, to save his life, where she took a basket and placed him in the basket and then placed that basket in the Nile River among the reeds in one of those shallow sections. And she must have known where it was that she was placing him because we're told that she steps back and watches to see what's going to happen. And then Pharaoh's daughter shows up. Yeah, she must have known, okay, this part of the Nile River is where Pharaoh's daughter goes to bathe. And she does. She shows up and she discovers the Hebrew child, recognizes that he's Hebrew, should, according to her dad's standards, throw him into the Nile, but instead she has compassion on him. And she adopts him into the royal family. Now Moses grows up there. He grows up as a Hebrew in the royal palace. And as I read this story, I wonder, okay, when did he realize? When did he realize that he's not Egyptian? When did Moses realize that he is a Hebrew and that all those people outside the palace walls who were being 
oppressed and beaten and tortured, enslaved, that those were his people. When did he realize that? In the next chapter, chapter 2, we're told that one day he just is watching them. He's watching his people and the hard labor that they're under. And I think at that moment, something really changed in his heart. We see in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Yes, he's watching them experience tremendous trauma. He's seeing them be whipped, insulted, dehumanized, and even beaten. Now, these beatings would have happened every day, multiple times a day, when an Egyptian uh, would beat one of the Hebrew slaves and not think anything of it. But Moses sees this happen to one particular man. One man is being beaten by an Egyptian, and something in Moses snaps. Something in Moses says, this can't happen any longer. This is unacceptable, and I can't go about my life living in that royal palace any longer. I need to do something. I need to get involved. But what he decided to do was take the man's life. Yes, with his own hands, he attacks the Egyptian in a fit of passion. The next verse says, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, And looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. In this act of passion, he kills the man and then hides him. I mean, it's a brutal act of violence in response to the dehumanizing treatment that he witnessed of his people. Now, Moses is discovered. Pharaoh discovers what he's done. Pharaoh tries to kill Moses, and Moses flees. He runs to a nearby country. Now, in our analogy, if we are all lumps of clay that God can mold and shape into God's image, what kind of lump of clay do you think Moses is? Probably not a very good one, right? I mean, think about it. Moses committed murder. And this is after decades of ignoring the plight of his people. And then when he was found out, he fled away from his people, who are still enslaved, probably never thinking to look back. Now, we read a story like this, and, and I know, you know, in our minds, in a logical train of thought, we think, yeah, God can redeem anyone, right? God can take any of us as a lump of clay and mold it into his image. But can God redeem Moses? I mean, can God really work in Moses' life, even with his baggage, even with murder on his record, what can God really do with Moses? Now, I don't want this to just be an abstract study of a different person's life. Let's make this more personal. What about those places of our lives that we think can never change? What about our worst moments? In spite of all, all of our baggage, Can God still work in us? Can God still redeem us? And what we see in this story is that God chose Moses despite his checkered past. I mean, God chose Moses even though he committed murder and ignored the plight of his people. So what does this tell you about the way that God chooses people? 
Does God simply choose the best of us? No. Does God choose only those who are perfect? Only those who have never sinned? No. No, God must be looking for something else when God chooses people to work through. Yeah, that is such a good example of how God reminds us that we're never beyond repair, Mm. that he's always going to work in us and through us. And so I'm curious, are there any instances in your own personal life where you've seen this firsthand, where you've seen someone who who maybe was broken Mm. and God showed up and used them to fulfill God's purpose? Yeah. Yeah, as a pastor, and I'm sure you're like this too, we see a lot of different types of people. Mm. And let into those really personal moments of people's lives, uh, into their brokenness and, and their kind of worst moments. And so to think through, okay, who have I seen as an extreme example that God has worked through? When I think about that, I actually don't think of any other people. I just think of myself. Hmm. And I bet we do too. I think of myself to say, okay, God chooses to work in me. Despite my shortcomings, despite my failings, despite the things in my life where I think, oh no, God won't ever want to touch that. Every day, God continues to work. And I think that's true for all of us. And I think that's a really profound and neat part of this story and this journey. Now, you brought us this example of Paul Mm -hmm. and kind of said, okay, this is how Paul's life changed. But that was 2,000 years ago. It was. Does God still do things like that today? Yeah, so the good news is yes. Go ahead. Yes, good, he does. Good. He is still very much uh, working in this world. And so one of the most elaborate displays of just seeing God as this great artisan occurred when I was finishing up my bachelor's degree. I was finishing up my bachelor's at UNCW. And during that time, I started attending a church called Port City Community Church. And this church had just started within the the first couple years of me attending, and they were meeting in a middle school auditorium. So the pastor of that church is Mike Ashcraft, and here's a picture of Mike and his wife, Julie. And so Mike, before he started Port City Community Church, he was working as an architect. So he had gone to school for this architectural degree, had launched his career in that field. He had gotten married to Julie, and they had a couple kids. So they had this very stable life, stable income as an architect. Mm. Except one day, Mike's in the office, and he hears God calling him to something else. He hears God calling him to a different purpose and meaning for his life. And so Mike steps out in faith, and he leaves his stable job and launches this church, Port City. So Port City opened its doors and met in the auditorium of a middle school in 1999, and they had 80 people in attendance that first Sunday. By 2001, the service had grown to 250 people. From 2001 to 2005, the church had grown to 1,900 people. They had three worship services on a Sunday morning, and so they had to get creative on how to to reach more people. So they decided to send a satellite feed to a movie theater in the next town over. So they continued to grow in size, and the planning team realized, well, we're going to need to build a building. Mm. We're going to need to build a building where all of our parishioners can, can worship together. So they bought 33 acres of land in Wilmington. They built a 90,000-square-foot building. 
So this is the aerial view of Port City Community Church in Wilmington. And this is the, the ground view. This next picture is the ground view of the church. And then this next picture is a picture of their sanctuary. So this is where they come together to worship. The building was finished in 2008, and they had their first service. There were 4,500 people in attendance. So it was, it was quite a dramatic change in the life of this church. The church has since then continued to grow. They've added an additional service. So they have four services on a Sunday. They've adopted this multi-building campus model where there's multiple campuses all throughout Wilmington and then the surrounding towns so that people can worship as a body of believers. But all of this came about when Mike Ashcraft heard God calling him to something else in his life. Mike allowed himself to be open to God's molding and shaping of him. All of this came about because the parishioners allowed themselves to be shaped and molded. They were creative in how they would worship. I mean, they were meeting in a middle school for mm. several years. The planning team allowed themselves to be open to God's leading as they envisioned building this 90,000 square foot building. I mean, that's a big leap of faith. Yeah. So I share this story with you because this is similar to what Unity and Artisan Church are doing. It's similar in the instance that we've all taken a leap of faith, mm -hmm. where Unity has said, I hear God calling, and I know that God wants to do something unique and different in the Lincolnton area, and I'm going to open myself up so that God can use me, so that he can shape all of us, so that we can serve his people in another place. Now, our story is not going to look like Port City Community Church. It's not going to look anything like that. Our story will be unique, and what Artisan Church goes on to do will be their story and how they serve that community. But I share this story with you because it is an example of God being the great artisan. It's an example of what can happen when we let God take over and start to mold us and shape us for his purposes. So I think the power of that, that pastor who had a, a stable job, he's an architect, and hears God, God's voice to, hey, quit your job and go start a church. Mm. Which I think if I was that person, I would be like, that's not God. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going insane. Um, but he takes the leap of faith. And so for, for us out there, um, who all probably have times where we think God's speaking to us, you know, why do you think it is that God kind of works through those moments of those asking us to take the leap of faith? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't there an easier way or what, what is that process like for just the average Christian? Of taking a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably God saying, do you trust me? Mm. And will you let me mold you into the person I want you to be? Mm. I mean, we know that God has plans for all of us. Yeah. And we're told in Scripture that it's plans to prosper us, to do something good in us and for other people. And so I think that leap of faith just shows us, like, I can hand my life over and I can trust that mm. God's going to do something good. I like that. I like that, the idea of trust. That's great. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, so you told us a little bit about how um, Moses got started. That's right. I think there's a little more to his story. His story's not done. Exactly. So where we left off, Moses fled, and he, 
you know, has in the rearview mirror his people enslaved, but he's going to live somewhere else because he's a fugitive. He's a man on the run. But God knows exactly where he is. And God has not given up on Moses. And so God shows up in a burning bush. You probably recognize that story. Gets Moses' attention and then tells Moses, I'm sending you back. I'm sending you back to where you just ran away from. I'm sending you to, Mo- to Pharaoh, the very person who's trying to kill you. Yeah, I'm sending you back. We pick up our story in the next chapter, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. When God says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God is telling Moses, Moses, I have chosen you. I have chosen you to be my instrument, my vessel to liberate the people from slavery. You know, Moses, that injustice that got you so upset, you're going to be how I free the people from that injustice. It's like God saying, Moses, what you wanted to do for that one person, that, he, that Hebrew who was being beaten by the Egyptian, I'm going to work through you to do for all the people. We are going to free all the people from slavery. This is great news in the story that God's going to get involved. But the, the question that keeps lingering in my mind is why Moses? Why Moses? Someone who is on the run, he's got murder on his record. Shouldn't there be have someone been better suited with more merit to be used by God? And it turns out Moses wonders the same thing, because here's how Moses responds to God. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt? What a great question. Who am I? Moses wonders. I mean, wouldn't God have picked someone with less baggage in their past? Surely there were better options out there. Now remember, this is not an abstract story. This is not simply a story that happened 4,000 years ago. This is our story too. So have you ever wondered that? Have you ever felt God maybe working in you a little bit, tugging on that heart, that, that small little step we talked about, and your response was, God, you, you have the wrong person. Like, who am I that you would use me? Surely there's a more Christian person out there that you want to use. But God, not, not me. I'm not at that level yet. You know, we're not so different from Moses. There's self-doubt that comes when we hear God's voice, and we say, surely not me, God. Surely you've got other plans, other people who would be more suitable for your purposes and your tasks. But what this story shares with us is that if God can use Moses, God can use anyone. And that includes you, and that includes me. And God is now, in this next verse, going to reveal what the criteria is for God choosing people to work through. Have you ever wondered that? Like, okay, how does God choose people? Why does God choose certain people? Well, that's what we're going to see right here, where Moses says, who am I? And God responds, I will be with you. This is God's response to Moses' question of why would you send me? Who am I? It's like God is saying to Moses, it's not important about who you are. 
What's important is who I am. And that's what God says to each and every one of us too. It's not important about who you are. It's important about who God is. And it's that simple. God cares less about an individual's personal qualifications and more about God's presence at work in that person's life. I mean, think about it. If we were just basing this on merit alone, Moses would have been at the far bottom of that list. But God doesn't choose simply based on merit. No, God begins that transformation process in Moses because it's the future that matters to God and not simply the past. Or in more particular, it is what you choose to do in the future with God that truly matters to God. Remember last week when we said there's no piece of clay that is unusable in God's hands. That's right here in this story where Moses is used and we can be used too. Really, there's no part of your life that God can't transform to more closely resemble his son, Jesus Christ. There's no amount of pain in you or no amount of regret in your past that could ever get in the way of God choosing to use you. So those who are used by God are simply the ones who are willing to recognize God's presence in the present. And we, sometimes we get stuck in the past. Moses could have done that. Moses could have been saying, no, I've, got, I've done too much. God's never going to use me. But instead, he was willing to say, where's God right now? Where's God in the present? And then what's God going to do in my future? That's what we can do too. We can recognize God's presence in the present. Because God is here. Right here. Right now. Now maybe you see some of yourself in Moses. Or you say, no, I've got too much baggage. Or I'm stuck in a rut. God, maybe you can use me in five years, but don't use me right now. Well, one of the neat aspects of this story is that God never simply asks Moses permission and doesn't wait for Moses to come to God. God goes to Moses and says, this is what I need for you. And God seeks us out too, every day. Maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you feel God tugging on your heart or some idea swirling through your mind. The encouragement from this whole series that we're completing today is to open yourself up, open your heart up to that transformation process because God is truly at work. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Don't let your past, don't let your regrets, don't let your worst moments, may no obstacle stand in the way of God using you. Instead, simply embrace God's presence in the present because God is here right here, right now. Amen. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.